I'm aware and have been made aware about communication. Sometimes communication is very clear, like the Bruins lost to the Leafs on Friday night. Not much way I can put that in a better context. They just did. So for those of you that sent me an email yesterday to point that out to me, uh, you know, thank you. The real season starts now. In far more important things at times, however, we end up meaning well and going like that. Our eldest son, Stephen, was born in Dallas in Baylor Hospital when I was in my third year at seminary. And my very best friend, such a good friend that last October, he and his wife visited us here in Thunder Bay, still lives in Texas, came to Baylor Hospital to see our new baby and uh, congratulate us. And those were the days where you went down to the nursery and there's this big glass and all these babies are in there and you certainly hope that where they put Mills was actually yours. And he was standing there looking in and my mom was there. And Rob looked in and said, Mrs. Mills, I gotta tell you, he's sure a cute little bugger. Now, I have to tell you that back in those days, uh, my mother just about fainted (laughs) because there might have been worse things to call my son in her estimation, but not that she could think of at that moment. (laughs) Now, was Rob's intent, was Rob's intent to cause any distress to my mother. In fact, he was using what he thought would have her smiling broadly and saying, yes, he is. Thankfully, he looks like his mother. Second, I grew up in a household that had three designations for good very good, good, and pretty good. And pretty good meant barely passable, like 51%. And then I married into a family that has basically two designations for good. Good, and pretty good. So Annette and I get married and I do something and say, how is that? And she says, pretty good. So what would you like me to do differently? Oh, nothing, dear. It was pretty good. And I can tell you that having been married almost 46 years, 
that to this day, if I'm not really thinking about, like, the, as soon as she says pretty good, which she's likely to after this morning, I have to still send that through the filter to say, oh, she meant very good. Third, when we moved to town a year ago last month, I wanted to be supportive of the community. So I was on Facebook and I saw that someone in the South End was selling really neat t-shirts. 30 bucks out of the house. It had lots of colorful feathers right here. And across here was Anishinaabe. So I went to the door. A very nice fellow. I knew he was a man of quality. He had a Bruins hat on. We had a nice chat. I gave him the money, went home. I was so proud of myself. I took a picture of the T-shirt and uh, sent it to my two adult family members here in town, and they immediately texted me back and said, that's nice, Dad, you just can't wear it. And I said, why? And they said, well, because um, I know you don't want to be offensive at all, and there will be some that would be offended by that. In all three cases... The intent was here to be good, supportive, helpful. The reality was over here. And you say, so? So this. Uh, there are certain phrases, words, etc., that are a part of my vocabulary for as long as I can remember. So there will be times, I am sure, even as we continue along, that I will have phrases, words, etc., that might cause you to think, I can't believe he said that because he obviously meant this. So let me tell you where my heart's at. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll mark six months together. And in that six months, this community has become very dear to me. My intent is to be as helpful as possible, to have this community as healthy as possible for the next pastor who arrives. There are definitely things that uh, could cause you, and I'm not going to mention names, but I do want to tell you this. I have been really grateful for those who have been willing to sit down with me and have a conversation um, about 
how and what I communicate, etc. cetera. Uh, I hope to the day I die, I learn things. I hope you feel the same way, that you haven't come to the end of your learning and said, well, that's neat and tidy, you've got all that. Now, there are certain things that I'm absolutely convinced of. I'm absolutely convinced about Jesus. I'm absolutely convinced about my need, our need for him. I'm absolutely convinced that the Christian message is exclusive. That there's Jesus and nobody else. I'm absolutely convinced that there will come a day when he sets up his kingdom here. I'm absolutely convinced that our responsibility until that day is this, that in every practical way we can, we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus here. So when Jesus saw that there were thousands that were hungry, he fed them. He didn't tell them to attend another Bible study. You're saying, oh, Mills just said you don't need to study the Bible. Mm -mm. We meet people where they are and where they're broken, like we are broken, we do all we can to demonstrate to them the love of Jesus. Why is that? Hear what Paul says at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And actually, before I even go there, let me tell you this in terms of communicating like this. I had wondered why it was on a Sunday morning when I said something like this, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, that basically nobody moved. And I thought, couple times, well, oh, that's because they have it on their phones. And I didn't see any phones coming out. True confession. I end up thinking to myself, what an unbiblical group of people <laughs> that God has caused me to be among. And then somebody kindly pointed out to me, well, that's because we've always had it on two screens. And so we could follow along. Huh. So Mills, like smarten up and quit, 
quit thinking the worst about these people when you don't really know what's going on. So, last night, in the best interests, I called up PowerPoint. And I put today's text into PowerPoint. And it did all kinds of things that it wasn't supposed to do according to me. And late last night, I got it ready. I even hit the part that says like start show now or whatever. And it went through and every time I click, good, the next, oh, good, good. Um, I put it in 40 point so that you could read it. Grateful for the two or three of you shaking your heads, knowing, yep, yep, that's about the right size. Good. Okay. I got it on the stick and brought it today. Yep. There we go. So, intent, reality. And uh, I'm away next week. So we'll hope that in two weeks from now, we can rectify that situation. By the way, I'm loving to tell you this, assuming that the COVID tests this afternoon are negative, Annette and I are on the plane to California tomorrow to see her family. She hasn't seen them in three plus years and her dad turned 97 in March. So, we will be there. Have you ever noticed when you go away or when other people go away, especially somewhere warm, nothing shows the darkness of our hearts like that? Because you hear that somebody's gone to Florida and you look and you see that, oh, hi today in Orlando, 14 degrees. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Look at that. They spent all that money. And meanwhile, if you're in Florida and it's like 28 or 30, you look back and go, Thunder Bay, coldest it's been in 10 years. Ah, ha, ha. If you don't do that, you will now. When Paul writes his epistles, he tends to have kind of a, a formula where in the beginning he talks about these things we know or these things we believe. And then he eventually moves to this. And based on that, then here's how we ought to operate with one another. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's he asking? This, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that we would know the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Hear it again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work with us, in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That closes his section with that wonderful benediction about the depth and breadth and height of the love of God and that we would know and experience something of that love. And then he starts in chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he's under house arrest in Rome. There were two ways to be under arrest in Rome. One, if you had no support, you would be in a really bad dungeon-like situation. If you had the whereabout, um, whatever the word is I want, to have somebody support you, then you could be under house arrest. Under house arrest, you still were in chains, but it wasn't as bad as being in a dungeon. So when Paul thanks the church at Philippi for their support, he's thanking them because of this. If it wasn't for that, he would be in the dungeon. He's, no long, he's not in the dungeon. He's in chains. And when he writes then to the church at Ephesus as well, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. When Paul asks us urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. It's this, that here's our calling in Christ Jesus. Here is who we are in Jesus, that he's transformed us from the inside out, that he by his spirit has taken up residence within us. In essence, when he says this, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, he's saying, be sure to live out what you claim to have happened inside you so that if Jesus 
has taken up residence within in you by his spirit. And he is the one who has loved you with an everlasting love. Then what ought to flow outward from that for us is humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What's that mean in our community? Is this, that uh, little term for patience. It's actually a uh, compound word, and it was always for remaining under. I like that for patience. Because I can find myself in my impatience thinking that, why don't they get that? Like, why, why doesn't he understand that? He always does that, etc., etc. And in the community... Patience that I want given to me, I need to be extending humility, gentleness. Many years ago, the uh, fellow who is now my best friend, he and I were serving in a church, and the uh, little jingle for the church was a place to call home. We were talking one day, and he said, I know this wouldn't be true, but wouldn't it be really nice if we could change that to a safe place to call home? That was many years ago now. You know what I hope for grassroots? that this is a safe place to call home. So we come with our backgrounds. We come with our ideas. We come with our prejudices and say, here is a place where we are going to act towards each other with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And when he writes, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, in other places that is used for this, working really hard working really hard at maintaining the unity of the spirit. And, and let me tell you why that's so important. Because the unity of the spirit, by definition, can only be created by the spirit. I can break that unity, but I can't make that unity. And I suspect you have seen this. I have been in church life where the unity of the spirit has been 
broken and you are praying for months, maybe years to see that unity remade. So why do we work hard at maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? Because it's relatively fragile. Because what I read in here is not natural to me. If you think that all those things are natural to you, ask somebody who knows you really well with humility. Sometimes I just want to win. I do. I stayed off Facebook for an entire year because quite frankly, I didn't like what was happening to me because somebody would put something on there and um, it would start off fairly civil, you know? Okay, some of you are looking at me like, I have never, ever done that. And how did we end up with him? And I would get, and be writing like the snarkiest things. And if that was what I did late at night, I'd have a hard time going to sleep because I'm really ticked off. If I'm going to be like Jesus and he's in control of my life, humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, working hard at maintaining the unity of the spirit. And here is why. Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul reminds the Ephesians, and in the 21st century, reminds us of that in which we are one. There is one body. When the New Testament describes our relationship to Jesus, does so in one of three ways. Describes us as being the body of Christ. Describes us as being the bride of Christ describes us as being the building of Christ. So here, when he says, one body around the entire world today, those who are in Jesus are part of us, are part of us.
down through the centuries, they're part of us. I'll make a comment simply on the bride. Jesus really loves his bride. And one of the reasons that I need to work hard at maintaining the unity of the body in the bond of peace is this. Husbands, uh, listen up. You want to come after me on anything? Come after me. You go after Annette, you better sleep with one eye open. Because things that I'll take for myself, I would never take for my wife. And if we, at any point, according uh, to our own wishes, desires, whatever, deliberately hurt the bride of Christ... How would I ever expect to have the smile of the groom upon me again? So this issue of being united is essential throughout the New Testament The unity being found here in one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. The one hope throughout the New Testament has within it desire, but not merely desire. So, somebody might say to me at the door, hope your flight is smooth tomorrow. A couple of you that are... um, very, very thoughtful, might say, we, I hope your Bruins win in the first round. No certainty about any of that. It's desire. And when the Bible speaks of our hope in the Lord Jesus, is it speaking about desire? Well, for sure. But also in the scripture is the issue of hope as being a ringing certainty. And the ringing certainty is this. Ultimately, Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom here. We would be, oh, pretty arrogant to assume that's going to happen, I would be, in my lifetime. But Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom here. Because his desire is to dwell among us and be a part of us. Anybody happy about that? You can think that one through if you'd like. I would be really happy if he set up his kingdom 
today. Because when the Prince of Peace comes, there'll be peace. When the King of Love comes, there'll be love. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want that to happen today. You were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You'll be glad to know that as of now, in the four points that I have on my notes, we are just about finished point one. Fret not, other days are coming. One last, well, a couple of thoughts. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. When he talks about one faith, it's very simply this. The object of our faith is Jesus. The one we believe in, the one we trust is Jesus. Now you're going to say, yeah, he's been setting us up for this one baptism and we know why. There's two ways that baptism is used in the New Testament. One is that when we are placed into Jesus and Jesus takes up residence with us, we are baptized into him. We are placed into him. I don't believe that there's water in this passage. There may be. It's not my personal position. But this, that when you trusted Jesus, when you came into a personal relationship with Jesus, you were placed into his body. So right now, we are interconnected if you're in Jesus because we're all in the same body and who placed us there was Jesus. And if that's the case on all these one, 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 one that we are together on, Throughout Christendom, there have always been lots of things to be a part on. Where we start is what we're together on. And Paul makes it clear that the central figure for our lives and for our community is to be Jesus. If that's true of our community, can I ask you this? Is Jesus central for you? Is Jesus central for you? That's what he calls us to. We come and we 
partake of this because he didn't want for people to look back anymore to Egypt and the redemption of Israel from Egypt. He wanted from that time on for people to be looking and assuming something else. And the assumption was this, that there is trust that this is my body given for you, and this is my blood shed on your behalf. And Jesus opened, the scripture tells us, a new and living way through his body, and we enter into that today as we remember him a couple of notes we don't get added grace by taking a little wafer and drinking a little juice I'm glad to tell you this all the grace that you will ever need is found in the person of Jesus right now We do this in obedience to him. But if you're in Jesus today, his grace could not be more overflowing in your life. We take this in obedience and we remember because he said, This is my body given for you. And as I can't get this cellophane open, um, let me tell you what else is going to be nice. When eventually we get to the point where we do communion differently in remembrance of the body of the Lord Jesus given for us let's eat together in remembrance of his blood poured out on our behalf. Let's drink together. And would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body given and your blood poured out on our behalf. We thank you that in you, we are one. What an awesome privilege to be part of your body.
to be your hands and feet here. To be a part of spreading kingdom news and kingdom living. And we tell you that we love you. Lord Jesus, as we look to the future, we're under your good hand. Would you lead us and guide us that we would do that which brings a smile to your face? Because we pray in your excellent name.